0: You are listening to an Anna Zao Ministries podcast.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to Systematic Geekology. We are your priests to the geeks. And man, do we have a fun episode today? It's a good old uh, team up. Mash up. We're teaming up with the whole church podcast uh, to talk with a really cool person who wrote a really cool book that I can't wait uh, to talk about. So today we're uh, systematic geekology and there's things we geek out on. Um, We're the priest to the geeks. There's no bait and switch, there's no hidden agenda. It's just like, man, what do you geek out on? And what are the questions that these things that we geek out on? raises to the surface or helps us focus in on, and it's no secret that we're big fans of sci-fi around here, uh, novels and video games and movies and and comics. And so uh, today uh, we're talking with a sci-fi author, and I uh, can't wait to dive into the book that, that he wrote and to learn more about his story of faith. And and I think the reason we're teaming up with Whole Church as well, because the the questions that this book um Lifts up or holds up the mirror to um, is is really important for I think the vitality and the health of the whole church and and the unity we can have within Christianity itself with our different denominations and traditions and and uh, um, kind of the spectrum of faith uh, I think is really going to help open up some some good questions and exploration with all those things so um, uh, welcome glad you're here let's get into the episode let's jump right in sounds good
2: I'm excited to be here.
1: All right. The voice you hear there is Andrew Gillsmith. Uh, Andrew, we're glad that you're here. Uh, The name of your book is Our Lady of the Articulates. I'm saying that right? Artilex. 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 There you go. Um, and, And we'll get into that just a little bit. And then we also have Christian here. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Will. How about you? We're good. We're good. Um, yeah, so so assist Systematic geekology, uh, we usually share those things that we're kind of geeking out on to kind of raise our geek cred. But today a little different uh question. Um, wanna ask since we're we're getting ready to talk about a, a pretty neat um sci-fi book, wanted to ask, what's your favorite sci-fi fandom? And and we'll go first, Andrew, to let you to let you think about a little bit, but Christian, so if you had to nail down like your favorite sci-fi fandom or genre, um, what would that be for you?
0: I mean, it's Star Wars, no question, but in the interest of fairness to <laughs> other series out there, since Star Wars is sci-fi fantasy, I would say it would be either Mass Effect or the Mobile Suit Gundam series. Mm, cool. uh, Mass Effect, I love the way they play with science, how they base things around the element zero to propel themselves across multiple worlds and you know, dealing with cycles of... Uh, life and death and stuff like that—really interesting. Mobile Suit Gundam is one of those things too that explores the depths of humanity, like uh, why we continue pursuing things like war. It's a wonderful series to check out. Very
1: deep to get into with the different AUs and all that, but well worth it. Now, is Mass Effect—is um, is that an anime or a video game? Where where does that originate and then? Uh, that is a into-
0: video game series. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out, I believe, when I was in high school forever ago. And it has one, two, and three in Andromeda, which some people don't like as much. It's
1: okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's no secret that I'm the, I'm the Star Wars guy here on, on the podcast and, and really kind of why systematic ecology even exists is because I was on Whole Church talking about uh, a God Loves Geeks book club that I started in my church and where we talk about Star Wars and Marvel. So Star Wars, my first um, love of sci-fi and geekdom. Um, but I also say, um, just kind of in light of, of the book we're getting ready to talk about, um, I really like the Blade Runner movies and series as well when I was a kid and these things came out like I was just really stoked that like Han Solo was in a different movie other than like (laughs) Star Wars and so Harrison Ford is in this Blade Runner and I remember seeing that I was like wait a minute why is this so slow? Why aren't there lightsabers and lasers (laughs) and things happening? And so I didn't like it at first because it's just so drawn out um, and just hold on the scenes for way too long. But as I got older, man, just the way that it gets into kind of the, the ethical, uh, question and the bioethics and the sci-fi of what it means to be human with these replicants, with this AI, with these robots, and and what that pushes and kind of these ethical dilemmas and, and how robots and humans can live together. Uh, great, great questions. And I, So I love that series, and I've gone back and watched it many, many a time. It's, it's based off Philip K. Dick's uh, book, um, do uh, I think it's called? Do Androids dream of electric sheep is the mm-hmm. original short story that he wrote that led into the Blade Runners series. So if you're looking for a good um, kind of book that that will lead into that, that's a good one. Good one to read. So Andrew, how about you, buddy?
2: Well, look, I, you know, and this will probably be a big theme, uh, uh, you know, through our conversation. I'm pretty ecumenical when it comes to sci-fi. I mean, I
0: mm-hmm. I like
2: a lot of stuff. I'm a huge, <laughs> huge Star Wars fan, um, and always have been. But I, I think um, I'm going to cop out and pick two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one is
2: classic, and one is a little bit newer. And I, but I love them both so much. The the classic one is um, Dune, you know, yeah. by, by Frank mm-hmm. Herbert. I mean that that to me, when I read that, um, you know, as a younger person, was kind of like a, a life changing book, right? I mean, it was, um, I mean, just the the, the philosophy. The inclusion of like religion and faith, right, mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. distant future, like where humanity is, you know, kind of spread out amongst the stars, was I, I just thought it was really cool. Um, and I, and the ideas that Herbert plays with, you know, around like messianic figures and the mm-hmm. nature of power, right, the nature nature of of, of religious movements, um, fate, destiny, all that. stuff. I mean, it was just just great, great stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. Um, the The newer one that I really, really liked uh, was the Expanse by nice. James S a. Quarry. And mm-hmm. in fact, like I got in a lot of ways, I think that motivated me to start finally writing nice. more than more than almost anything else because I got so into the first the show, and you know, the show was on sci-fi originally, the sci-fi mm-hmm. channel, and it got cancelled because that's you know what happens to great sci-fi shows. And the fans yeah. of the expanse like rallied around this this show and were like, we are not gonna let this thing die. And they like they created this whole like save the expanse campaign on Twitter, which I like, I like changed my my Twitter to Andrew, you know, save the expanse, Gilsmith <laughs> Smith, you know. <laughs> um, somebody hired a plane to have a sign fly around the Amazon headquarters twenty-four hours a day saying, Jeff Bezos, please save the expanse. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. It worked. They actually yeah. did it. And, and it was like, I, it felt so good. Like, I, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an only child. I'm like a little bit of a loner, but like, it, it was like the first time that I really like felt like I was part of like a, a fandom community, you know, nice. that like did something. Uh, but the expanse is, is amazing. It's just, yeah, I've, I've heard
1: great off. things about, about that show and try to get into a little bit, but then of course, other things got, got in the way. And so it's, it's out there in my queue. It's out there, um, hanging out to, to one day pick back up again and run with it. But I, I, yeah, like the great reference to Dune. And and when I, I knew the remake, I remember the, the movie as a kid, that just Sting was in it. And that's the only thing. I yeah. uh, But then. That was a um, weird but, movie. That was a it, trippy movie. Yes. Super weird, trippy movie. And then when I knew they were remaking the movie, I was like, I'm going to really sit down and read this like a uh, huge book Dune. And so, so I got through most of it and read it. And as I was reading it, and then as this movie was coming out, I realized how much George. Lucas stole from Dune for oh, Star in terms of listen. the sand planet and the messianic and the religious and the mysticism. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean,
2: um, I love Star Wars. I love Lucas. I, yeah. I, like, and he, you know, it's it's a di- totally different vibe, but I mean, I think Frank Herbert sued him at one point. I, was I know. Talking about it, right? I don't know. Yeah. But like, yeah. You yeah. can see why.
1: Yeah. 100%. Dune,
2: Dune's the OG Star Wars.
1: Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. Can't wait for part two of that movie too. Yeah. I, my family who went to go see it with, I thought they kind of knew what's going to be a part two, like a two-parter. They couldn't fit that whole book into one movie, but when it ended, they're like, what? that was the worst ending ever. I'm like, no, there's another one. <laughs> no I like um, well, cool. Yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah, sci-fi, we, we love it. Um, Andrew, tell us a little bit about uh, you know your your story in a nutshell, like uh, who who you are, what you do, your your story of faith, and eventually what led you to to write a novel. Like we all, us geeks, have ideas in our head and dream of one day writing our own sci-fi novel or comic book or directing our own movie or designing our own uh, video game. But but for you, what's what's your story in a nutshell? How did it get to this point?
2: Gosh, um, well, you know, I I guess I'll I'll, I'll take the easy way and and, and talk about the the story of the book first. Cause the, the, yeah. the, faith journey, I think would be a longer story. Happy to get into it. If, yeah, um, if, if, if that's where we go with this, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I, I had actually just finished reading the expanse. Mm-hmm. Um, this was several years ago and I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved the series. I think that, I mean, like always, right. The books are better than the show. Sure. Um, you know, the characters are more interesting. There's just, you know, there's more left to the imagination but it left me feeling the conclusion of that series left me feeling the way that I often have felt reading a lot of modern science fiction, which is a little dry, right mm-hmm. I mean, you're dealing typically i mean certainly in the case of the experience with like these huge questions about you know the nature of life itself, of consciousness of the human spirit, you know um, and there there there's a you know there's a, i think a long and Interesting and fun tradition of existential dread, you know, in science fiction. Right. But uh-huh. like, but like, you know, existential dread on its own, you know, can only can only like go so far, right? I mean, there's gotta be a resolution. There's gotta be meaning, to me anyway, meaning and purpose to it. Otherwise, you're left like I often feel at the end of a sci-fi series, thinking, well, that was really a great ride, but like I don't know that I I don't know that I feel better. I don't feel edified. Mm. For yeah. lack of a better term, at the
1: end of it. And where's I, the hope? Where's the right. hope? Yeah.
2: <laughs> right, right. And, and, and again, that's not to say that there isn't hope at the end of, of the experience. I don't want to spoil it. And I, and I, mm-hmm. the last thing in the world I want to do is like insult it or, you know, anything like that. Cause I just think it's incredible creative work. But I thought, you know what? Like, what's, I want to write something and I want to see if I can write something that, you know, does deal with these big existential questions, but that actually, um, brings God into it, right? Like that, that, that yeah. reflects the, you know, the, the universe and, and reality, the way that I understand it and do it in a way that would not be preachy, you know, cause like, I just, I'm not interested in that. I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there. If that's what you're <laughs> interested in, that's great. I'm not interested in that. I, I like sci-fi and I wanted to tell a really cool, fun, interesting sci-fi story that happened to also deal with questions of
1: faith. Nice. Nice. So, so yeah, your your faith story was, you know, to share with us, and especially our kind of whole church listeners, you know, is a part of that story of trying to think. Here we have on this, um, you know, recording uh, a Baptist uh, seminarian, a Lutheran pastor, and a Roman Catholic together talking about sci-fi and geeking out together. And if that's not a, a picture icon of, of whole church, I don't know what is. But like, um, you know, what what... What was your upbringing a little bit and then kind of where your faith is now? And then you, you've already shared that that inspired you to write your own sci-fi story that sure. integrates your faith into that. But but share us a little bit about your journey.
2: Yeah. I mean, I so I grew up, um, you know, a Midwestern Methodist. Um, I didn't really know what that meant, to be honest with you. I mean, I went to an evangelical school for the first through sixth grade, I think it was, and then to a different school after that um so i had kind of i mean a little bit of like evangelical christian um i guess theology um and and but my 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 practice was was methodist right and you know when i was a um, uh, a teenager when i was 14 my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer Mm. and i was really really close to my mom i mean um you know just we were we were best friends and you know, like a lot of kids, I think that go through something like that, like that kind of trauma. I mean, it, 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 it had its effect on me. I became very angry, mm-hmm. um, at the world at other people at God. And it kind of set me on a course toward, um, willful atheism, I guess I would say, right. Where it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't that I, um, just looked at all the evidence was like, I, you know, I don't find any evidence for God. I'm, very logically, rationally, concluding that, you know, that this is a purposeless universe, blah, blah, blah. It was like, no, I'm pissed off. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to choose this. This is the way that I'm going to see the world. And I went through that for a while. Actually, when I went to college, um, I majored in religion, which is a great way to become an atheist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, uh, and I knew it. And so that's why I did it. But I never, I could never completely shake my faith. Like, I was always just kind of there, kind of in the Mm. background, right? Um, Over time, you know, I started to kind of claw my way back to it. There were a couple of things that happened that were really deeply influential for me. One of them was just watching the global witness of Pope John Paul II, who I just, I found him fascinating. I mean, he was this old, sick man who would go stand in the face of, like, you know, (laughs) grave evil, (laughs) right and um and mm-hmm. and did so fearlessly and and the way that he spoke was just so brilliant i mean he was such a brilliant man uh, beyond being i think a, a holy man i thought well that's that's really interesting like there's something to that nice um and the other thing um was i went when i was living in new york you know i for i don't even know what caused me to do this but i ended up going one time there's a church here called um uh the holy Innocents. It's a Catholic church in Midtown, one of a gazillion. But they they were having um, a Latin mass. And I I just wanted to see it. Like, I just wanted to see what it was like. And I knew nothing. I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about what was happening in front of me. But I watched from the back of the scene. I watched this scene, this liturgy, um, and the reverence of it and the beauty of it. Hmm. And I, I bawled. I just sat back in the back of the church crying. And... I didn't immediately become a Catholic. It took me a lo- it took a long time actually. After that, like I, I ended up marrying a woman who grew up in the in the Catholic Church, and then I went through RCIA after we were several years after we were married, and and that was what formally brought me into the Catholic Church. But I think from from that moment of seeing that that Mass, in a lot of ways, like I was I was Catholic in my heart.
1: Nice, nice, yeah, like that that kind of um, is so legit. You know that sense of of grief and and questioning and being pissed off at God is. Is pretty biblical like you see that in the in the laments and the psalms and and job and all, all the way to jesus on the cross my god my god why are you forsake me is is there um and then uh you know i don't i don't think it's um you know it's not lost to me that you know you being captured by the liturgy in a church called um you know the holy Innocents. you know uh, there's this biblical story of of the like children being slaughtered uh um for, for, because there was a power hungry emperor or king who, who wanted to get rid of Christ. So, you know, that, that kind of lament of the holy innocence and that, and that pain and then being captured by the beauty of, of liturgy is, is pretty powerful. It's very powerful story. Yeah, um, so so you you've found yourself um, kind of uh, immersed in in uh, Catholicism and converting to, to the Catholic Church and and finding the liturgy and the theology beautiful and, and wrapping meaning uh, to your life, and then you also have this. Uh, Kind of fandom of, of sci-fi um, and it led you to to write a book um, that kind of integrates all that together and so so if you could kind of um, you know your log line your pitch your elevator pitch someone's you're in you're in a, a elevator um, heading back home to st. Louis and someone says oh you write a book what is it what, it, what is your book about? How would you say that in like three sentences?
2: Oh boy, this is, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at this. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I'm a, I'm a TV I'm producer at-, at
1: Amazon. I'm a TV producer at Amazon. And I'm like, I want to make your uh, book into a sh- TV show. Uh, yeah. Pitch it to me. What, what, what's, okay. your, what's your story? Here, here's,
2: here's, here's the elevator pitch for Our Lady okay. of the Artilex. 200 years in the future, we have androids that are human in appearance and behavior. What would happen if they started having religious visions first? And then what would happen if one of them showed up and said that they thought it was possessed? How would the church respond to that? Right? <laughs> Those um, are
0: excellent premises. And, <laughs> so good.
2: And you know, there, cause, cause it leads to, I mean, look, you, it leads to theological questions that are really interesting about personhood. Um, and would God ever choose to insult a creature like this? And. I mean, I don't know, like, I'm not a theologian. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and argue like scientifically. Yes. And theologically, yes, it's possible. And here are the 15 reasons why I just thought it was an interesting story in a way to talk. You know, I mean, like most science fiction, it's really a way to talk about us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's it. My, my wife saw me, um, reading the book and she says what are you reading i was like well i'm interviewing this this guy for for whole church and systemic like ecology and she knows it like sci-fi And i was like she goes what is the book about and i was like well it's about an ai who has a religious experience and people are trying to wrap their heads around whether this thing was hacked or not or or whether it's legit um god um appearing to to these ai or or um Replicants, if you say from Blade, Blade Runner, they look like us. How do you didn't know if they are? And then asking, do they have a soul? Uh, do they have free will? Are are they? Um, did they really have this? Or were they hacked? And and I think you know, kind of a, where we are today in our, our world, whether it's uh, science for the pandemic is kind of like, oh, we hear this. It's is it true? Is it not true? What's going on? How would we react? And and I was reading your book, and I was thinking like, when is this set? Like. 50 years in the future, 100 years. And you leave that out for, I don't know, that's intentional. But like halfway through the book, you you lift up this event, this kind of um, – worldwide tragedy that happened, um, in China. Um, and you named the date and like, Oh, I finally get to know when it is. And it was so good you held on to that. And it was like, it's 200 years over 200 years in the future. And then in my mind started thinking like, yeah, if, if technology advanced so fast since 2000 to 2023, in terms of AI and Alexa and iPhones, what would it look like 200 years from now? So, uh, I guess a two part question. Um, one, um, I'm always interested in this in terms of your, your concept of, of this story where that came and then how long it took to become print, like how long oh, is yeah. that process of writing? And then, you know, w- what kind of homework did you do about tech and about what to integrate into uh, your imagination of art that? So first of all, I just like, if I wanted to write a book, how long did it take you? And how long, how patient do I need to be?
2: Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what I tell people on this is it was like, you know, uh, 50 years researching, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, six months to, to write it for me, on okay. this okay. book. which, um, and it was my first book. And I mean, every, everybody writes at a different pace, you know, I mean, there are writers who, I mean, gosh, there are writers who turn books out in 30 days, a hundred thousand words in 30 days. I don't know how they do it, but mm-hmm. they do it. And then there are others that take years. I mean, look at George Martin, you know? Yeah. Right. Hard to argue with his success, but you know uh, maybe his process leaves a little something to be desired. I don't know. Right,
0: right. Uh, you Have your Stephen King's with a thousand words a day mandatory? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, so like it, 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 once I started writing it, it kind of flowed because you know the the, the themes in it, you know, and the idea set that, that I was dealing with were the things that I've I've spent my life thinking about. Um, you know, and it was really a, a matter then of like, okay, well, I got to you know I don't want to just I love Frank Herbert, but, you know, I mean, like if there's a critique of Frank Herbert, you know, it's that that the characters are just kind of there to they're sock puppets for him to, you know, express his philosophy. I didn't didn't really want to do that either. I wanted to create real characters and a story that people could relate to and, you know, kind of give them the give the characters the freedom to go in whatever direction they needed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was about a six month process right, from, from first page to finish.
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah. That, I think that's helpful. I think people who want to create stories or get into that. Sometimes you're like, I'm just, I have this dream and it's going to happen like next week or whatever. But it's, there's a long game. It takes a long time. Some people it takes years and years and years. Um, and some, you know, yeah, six months, that's, that's a good, good chunk of time to really get this into people, people's hands, you know? And so you say 50 years of, of research. Yeah. Set 200 years in the future. What were some of the things they either inspired you or you dreamt up of or your imagination in terms of the tech and, and that integration of faith and science or science and and humanity within, within this book?
2: I mean, so I, I've kind of, you know, worked in and around technology my whole career. Um, you know, I started my first job out of school actually uh, was I, I, uh, I wanted to be a writer, but, and I got an offer to be a writer for a paper in New York, but like the pay was so bad. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to live in a closet with, like, you know, 15 people <laughs> and a court of rats, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then I got a,
2: an offer, another offer to work for this, like, kind of weird technology group. And they were incubating two Internet projects at the time. This was way back in 94. Yeah. And one of them, the one I ended up working for was, a, was the first free email company. It was called
1: Juno. Oh, wow. uh, I remember Juno. I remember Juno. Yes, no. I do. <laughs> um, the other
2: one was this kind of quirky guy. He was a senior vice president of the bank. He'd go into his office, didn't really make eye contact, but he had like books piled up to the ceiling. And I finally and – and, and like I was delivering mail, you know. And so I finally asked him one day, what are you doing with all this stuff? And he said, well, I'm trying to figure out how to sell books on the Internet. And I was like, well, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Like who would ever <laughs> – buy anything on the internet and if they were going to buy something why would it be books he's like well you know we'll see it might it might turn into something
1: it might, it <laughs> might.
2: and how, that actually was jeff bezos and like six months later he picked up and went to seattle <clears throat> and oh, found wow. the amazon um oh, so i've been around technology a lot <laughs> i like technology I, I enjoy it um i i have my you know i i have a certain level of skepticism about it you know sure um, um, but that, so the, so the research, you know, a lot of the research just comes out of my professional experience. And then, you know, some, there's a lot of, there's some great books on sort of like, you know, how, how, would ro- how would, if we were to develop autonomous, um, moral agents, right? Like, you know, androids, robots, artificial intelligence that was capable of making moral decisions, how would that happen? There's some really good research and books out there. I read a bunch of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, got nice. some white papers here and there. I like research. Yeah, fun.
1: That's that's good. Um, yeah, and I, I think yeah, like as we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, um, Christ, Christensen Seminary, and and I'm in I'm embedded in a church that's on the doorstep of the University of North Carolina, and you know the question of bioethics or or um, technology and um, and science, those big questions aren't going anywhere. And so, how does the church have conversation with and come to the table to listen and learn, but also raise some good questions um, to to ask those things? And I think that it really shines through in, in your book. This kind of understanding of it's not just within Catholicism, but there's a global aspect uh, within your book as well. You you have it's not just Roman Catholics uh, that are wrestling with this thing, but you have people who are. Um, who are Muslim, uh, you have secular, you have scientists, you, you have good, you have a good bond villain in there. Uh, doc, dr. Chandler, <laughs> he's like a good, good bond villain, uh, uh that, that I like, but you know, in terms of this global nature, what did you have some background when it comes to like kind of Christian Catholic relations with, with is, is Islam or those yeah. who are Muslim? Um, I, I think that's a great aspect in terms of talking about not just church unity, whole church, but also like kind of global, unity. How do religions who are different have these conversations and healthy conversations with each other as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, so that was, um, there are, there are a lot of interfaith friendships in, mm-hmm. in this book. Right. And, and there's a, um, you know, a couple of characters I, that I, I, I think, and I hope, um, represent Islam, um, in a, in a really, you know, in a faithful and respectful right. uh, manner. Because, and and it's important to me because, I mean, I personally have tremendous respect for Muslims and and for Islam. I've had really close Muslim friends of mine, okay? Um, And what I've come to believe over the years is that without minimizing the differences, the theological differences, right? And without even minimizing, you know, the kind of historical friction, to put it mildly, you know, between islam and christianity if you were to look today at your average christian of almost any denomination and your average muslim anywhere in the world i think that they have more in common philosophically ethically and morally than what separates them and i would even go so far as to say and here i'm just going to speak as a christian in the west a christian specifically in what i think is increasingly a post-christian west yep i personally feel more of a spiritual kinship with a practicing Muslim than I do with your average Western secularist, hmm. okay yeah, and um I wanted that to come through in the book because that's just how I feel, you know
0: yeah. mm-hmm.
2: um, and i i would I hope fervently I pray fervently that christians of of all denominations and Muslims can get past the doctrinal differences and the the historical you know, injustices, you know, that have, I think happened on both sides and and realize that, you know, like we are people of God. We are part of the Abrahamic tradition. Our faith, our way of thinking, of living, of being is um, in some ways really under attack in the modern world. And we better figure out how to work together.
1: Yeah. Right? Because otherwise,
2: uh, otherwise we're going to get taken out one by one.
1: Yeah, and I, I like the common ground. I mean, I, I think both – the Islamic faith and and Christianity and in the West, you know, we, we have our spectrum of like hardcore fundamentalists that aren't willing to sure. have any kind of conversations at all. And this is the way it is that leads to, that can often lead to violence. Uh, we saw that in our own country on January 6th. But then you have those mm-hmm. who are who are on the progressive movement, but then you also have those who are kind of like there to say, We're, we want to open the table to have conversations around faith in science and morality and, and the common ground that you create in this book that you're not only talking about science and technology and like AI, but, but there's also this understanding of like angels and demons, uh, speak a little bit more of that in terms of possession. Cause there is common ground within those faiths and within Christianity about, you know, possession, angelic, um, genies and, and those kinds of things like where, where did that come from? And then, and then how do you see that kind of emerging out of, out of your story?
2: Sure. So, I mean, um, and again, I'll just speak from my own, you know, my own tradition, because I don't, I don't know as much, for example, about like right. the, the Lutheran kind of view on angelology, mm-hmm. you know, um, or the Baptist view in, on, on angelology. But, you know, I, I, one of the things that tra- attracted me to the, um, to the Roman Catholic Church was this whole sort of like, you know, systemic thought in theology around the spiritual realm. Right. Yeah. And like, for example, I, you know, one of the, one of my favorite prayers is the chaplet of Saint Michael. Absolutely yeah. love that prayer. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful spiritual weapon that, that I that has benefited me on a personal level many, many times in my life. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I, I certainly believe in it. You know, I certainly believe that there's a that there's an unseen world and that there, as Saint Paul said, we fight against powers and principalities. Okay. Now in Islam it's really different. Um there's a first of all, my my understanding is that I I I don't think that it's quite as um, rigorous or systematized. In other words, there there to be different strains of thought within Islam. The view, viewpoint that I take is um, comes really out of the Sufi tradition. The viewpoint in the book is out of the Sufi tradition, which is more mystical.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and you know, the jinn in in uh, in Islam are not exactly demons. They actually were like a created race that existed before humanity, they were made from what uh, the Quran calls smokeless fire. which Sounds a lot like electricity. (laughs) But they were, they were made of smokeless fire and they were powerful creatures, but God eventually went to them and said, I've made Adam and I want you to acknowledge Adam as your superior. And most of them said, no. So there was that same sense of rebellion and pride, Mm. you know, and fall and, and, and subsequent fall. That happened there, and the chief among them was uh Iblis, um, who is Shaitan, who you know is 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 sort of the Muslim equivalent of Satan. Um, right. so you know, I mean, there's there's different you know, the different power levels, <laughs> you know, if you want to get into like science fiction terms, yeah. you know what I'm saying,
1: yeah. but um, uh, Padawans and, and Jedi's, right? <laughs> yeah, and
2: there are differences, but I but I I, I wanted to try to you know to. Kind of come at this problem. I mean, if I was coming at it from a religious mm-hmm. point of view and, a, and a, a scientific point of view, I wanted to wanted to make sure that to preserve the level of ambiguity you know around it that I thought was necessary for the story to be told, i I, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring in that third perspective on it.
0: I see. that's really fascinating because while I was doing my research for this, I found that one of your inspirations for this was the Our Lady of Fatima, and I want incident is the wrong word to say. That sounds like it's negative. Like, <laughs> can, can you explain for the listeners like sure. what that was, what occurred? It was in Spain in 1917, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it was
2: in Portugal, 1917. Oh, a um, little village um, called Fatima. Um, three illiterate shepherd children um, had a, a, a series of visions of the Virgin Mary. By the way, this place is an interesting place, Fatima. You know, it's named, it's named it, it, um, after one of the wives of Muhammad right? Because it's in the Iberian Peninsula, which was Islamic for many, many years. But even before that, there's always been this kind of like spiritual energy to the place. I I guess I would put for lack of a better word. Anyway, um, the shepherd children had this vision. This was at a time when Portugal was under a Masonic um, government, which was rabidly anti-Catholic and anti-religious. So the secular authorities were doing everything they possibly could to suppress the church. And traditional beliefs. Um, They went to great lengths to try to discredit these children. Um, At one point um, the Virgin told Lucia, who was the oldest of three, on this date you can tell them that come come and stand here and there will be a miracle and they will witness and then I will do this so that they will believe. And so that everybody got real excited about it because they were like we're gonna prove these three little you know idiot children wrong. 100,000 people show up and there was something called called the miracle of the sun and it's been widely reported. And look, I mean, you're going to have like anything that happens, you know, like in the world, right? You're going to have people who say it didn't happen or it did happen or it was just a natural phenomenon that people put ascribe supernatural value to. But I mean, something, something clearly happened that day, right? Because it was reported worldwide. It was reported in the secular press in Portugal at the time. um, And it was pretty dramatic. The Virgin gave these children... A series of what what you would call secrets, which are really just mysteries. And they were told to reveal them at certain periods, at certain points in time. And the third one is the one that's kind of been the most controversial because um, it's (laughs) scary stuff. It's apocalyptic. Um, It was political. It had a lot to do with communism and um, uh, the Bolshevik revolution in Russia and the consequences of not uh, of the church not really standing up to that on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church hasn't necessarily always um, acted in accordance with Our Lady's will on this, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. And then there's the controversy of, well, was, it, was the third secret already fulfilled? Church's official position is that it was, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'll say for anyone who wants more information on this, there's a really great episode from the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, about this yes. that man uh pursues things from both science and faith reason and me. faith yeah he is an incredible man oh. i listen to him religiously yeah. <laughs> that's not blasphemous so yeah, yeah i would definitely check that out if you want to learn more about this uh, occurrence this miracle
2: yeah i mean you know for me like there was there was another writer that i got really into named malachi martin and he um he was a, a jesuit priest um scholar in linguistics. He was an exorcist. He worked in the Vatican secret service. He was a nice, you know, a a Pariti to some of the top cardinals during Vatican II. So he was, you know, like an insider's insider. Um, uh, And he claimed to have seen the third secret, um, said it was terrifying, was under under oath not to reveal it. Um, But he described Fatima as kind of the fulcrum point of modern history you know, 20th century history. And if you look at history in sacramental terms, I mean, from a Catholic perspective, if you were to look at history in sacramental terms, I think that's hard to argue with. I mean, I, I sort of agree. Um, mm. So the question is, is you know, like like with all all prophecy, you know, is it for a moment in time or is it for all
1: time? Right, right. Yeah and and I think you know our modern day prophetic books um you know whether it's apocalyptic walking dead or sci-fi or the expanse they kind of hold up a mirror to kind of help people kind of ask some big questions and and think through the existential questions like you said but there's some real things that happen in our world that people are captured by and and the, and the miracle uh, and and the mystery of Fatima is is there I remember reading that about that in seminary being just just captivated by 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 the story and so your book again like it integrates like technology and what tech and AI could look like 200 years from now, but there's also this religious component that's still there to talk about how the church will react, how other religions react, how their political entities would react. And as you said, like there's a reaction, you do a good job. Like there's this transhumanism of like, how do humans merge ourselves with tech? What are the ethical dilemmas with that? How does it help humanity? How could it hinder? How could someone like, um, uh, manipulate that and and take advantage of of that. So all all those things are there. But I love this story of like you have a scientist uh, who I think she's an, uh, a physicist, right? And and then like who, who I guess was her fiance. They almost had a family, a priest who's an exorcist. Who's they're talking about. There's this dialogue of faith and science together, and how do they come together and have understanding, but also disagreements. Talk more about that because I'm fascinated because my own church, um, you know, you, there's. We know that the Higgs boson particle, the God particle. Well, where you you lift up, uh, there's another particle out there that physicists uh, discover in a like this fictional hydron collider called the Lucifer particle. Um, and actually, there's a member of my church who's a physicist at Duke who helped discover uh, the Higgs boson, and I was able to go on my wow. at, at CERN to go get a tour of this stuff. So all this wow. stuff is there, and, and he really helped kick off our kind of faith and science deep dive within our congregation. So so yeah, there's speculation there but there's also real research. Like one, talk about how this comes in your book and then why do you think this is important for the church to continue to think through these things?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. A, there's a lot. In I, know, I know. I know. I a lot. There. <laughs> um, why do I think it's important for the church to continue to engage in this stuff? Because, you know, I mean, we were given the faculty of reason, you know, mm. um, it, 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 it's a gift from God. Um, I think this is just a personal view. and I certainly don't speak on behalf of all Catholics on this or anybody other than myself. Right. But, you know, one of the things that's become very interesting to me as I've gotten older is this idea that like there, there are real limits to reason, you know, mm-hmm. there just are, there are things that, there are things that can be understand understood at the heart level that are pretty darn near impossible to explain just using pure reason. And, you know, there's there's a whole tradition, like, for example, in, in Eastern Orthodoxy around this. Um, you know, that like I mean I think I think if you would talk to like some of our Orthodox brothers and sisters, they would say, Where the West really went wrong and they would they would blame us Catholics for it. And then, and then they, <laughs> They'd say they'd probably let you guys off the hook, but say you know you're,
1: you're just uh, maybe not. inherited
2: these sins. I don't know, but like uh, you know, and I, I mean, I, and I say that with love because I mean, my goodness,
0: absolutely. A lot of are already are too far, far gone, anyways. So <laughs> um,
2: but you know, they would say that you know we we really started to go wrong when we fully embraced scholasticism and over elevated reason, the faculty of reason, and and specifically stopped understanding what the purpose of reason was. The purpose of reason they might say is not to understand the mind of God, which is not knowable. Um, The purpose of reason is to restrain our appetites. It's a nice benefit that we get that we can also understand the world through it. You know, that's a gift. That's a grace. That's all it is. Um, So that's a theme that, you know, that runs through the book and will definitely, definitely run through the sequels. It's like, How much how much of the nature of this reality can we really understand through reason and through, you know, breaking apart particles and finding ever and ever smaller particles? You know, and and it's not just here's the thing that I find so interesting about it, guys. It's not really just a, a religion versus science question. If you really dig into the science, okay, and you listen to people like David Bohm, who was um, one, of, in my opinion, like one of the great thinkers in, in quantum theory of the 20, of the 20th century and an atheist, I think. I mean, you know, he he would say we, we aren't even close to understanding. This right. Stuff. In fact, it's not going to be possible for us to understand it using the tools and mindsets that we have today. Right. There's an mm-hmm. implicate order, he would say. There's a there's an there's an enfolded order. And we can't get beyond that membrane. We can't unfold that last layer to understand what exactly it is that gives rise to all of the things, you know, that we see in this universe.
1: Yeah. And I, I think you're right. Like there's, there's a sense of where like kind of Newtonian physics, you know, had this kind of special order and everything's kind of planned out and, you know, it gave rise to kind of like the clockmaker maker uh, deism, if you believe in that or not. And then, then we started get into like kind of quantum physics and we've discovered real fast how weird things are and that things don't match up. And so if people are like, yeah how could you believe in the resurrection that's so weird i'm like well have you looked at like quantum physics like that's even weirder you right.
2: know <laughs> the cat is dead and it's alive at the same time in an yeah. infinite number of possible states
1: and we see like the Hubble telescope, uh, you know, and now we have the James Webb and it's, it's expanding our universe, the mystery of the universe. And for me, it, it expands kind of the mystery of God and and captures my imagination in a way that it, that, that it hadn't before. So again, in, in your book, well, I think we just heard like... Andrew talk about that. There's going to be more. There's going to be sequels. He's writing more. Um, I'm excited about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. What's next after after this particular book? But I think you know. Again, you play around. Not to give spoilers to the end, but there's this. There is a scientist who is skeptical and has skepticism as kind of her base, and then you have a priest who's kind of turned down the road of uh, down of faith down the road of faith and they're working together to literally save the world and so i, I love that that came, they come together and they have banter they have humor they have ten, the tension is on the line they're not going to get rid of the tension of faith and science but you know what it can do it can create a deeper understanding of how we are as humans and what this universe means and it's going to create awesome music on that on that guitar string or cello that will we'll sing out Uh, A a beautiful song. And so those two working together, I really thought the book, them two literally trying to save the world working together uh, was was pretty, pretty daggone good and, and and loved how you played with that with that idea. Oh, thank you yeah so if there was um a particular um yeah i'm I'm not going to go down the road of like what's what's the nature of a soul could ai ever have a soul rationally read the book you can go down that you can reach out to andrew on on twitter he can answer your questions about what what's the nature of a soul but like you know if there was a question one question that you would hope people would kind of wrestle with or pay attention to while reading this book or for future books and conversation within church, what what would be the main question you would hope people would take away or wrestle with?
2: Do I really know everything that I think I know? Where, where do my beliefs, where do my ideas about the nature of reality really come from on what authority do they rest? Right. For most, for most people, for most of us, and I'll I'll put myself in this category for sure. I mean, people don't understand quantum mechanics. People (laughs) who invented quantum mechanics don't understand quantum mechanics. David Bohm, who was one of the fathers of the theory, said. Or I think it was David. It might have been somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, said uh, Richard Feynman. I think it might have been said. If you claim that you understand quantum mechanics, you absolutely, without a question, do not understand
1: quantum mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> you discredit yourself immediately. Exactly.
2: <laughs> um, and you know, like so. So really, ultimately, for ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the population, whether you are religious or not religious it's resting on authority, right? Um, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of how it always has been. But um, authority implies a certain level of priesthood, um, a control over, you know, meaning and truth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's probably worth questioning that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I hope I don't get in trouble with my church for saying
1: that. No, <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Your I, I think,
2: I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're called to, to question things too. I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to it. To, to well, the church, right?
0: well, that's one of the things I think that Christians as a whole have done a huge disservice to us is that we've brought up the issue of doubt as a negative thing always. Hmm. It's like that's a terrible way to look at it. Like the, some of the periods of growth I've had that were the most fruitful when I was doubting. And it's like, well, let me look into what I actually believe and go, oh, this is why I do. Not because – My dad believes in it, not because my mom does or my pastor does, but because the God of the universe created this world and said, out of all the idiots in the world, I want
1: you to work with me. (laughs) That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Faith faith and doubt are, are beautiful dance partners. And, you know, I, I think they work work hand to hand. They can be in the same room together and have a conversation and have a drink, have a meal and and have a good conversation. And I think that's kind of what we're called to do. And the same way with faith and and science and, and reason and all those can be a, in, in the same room together to have a conversation. Doesn't mean that there aren't disagreements or or there a tension on the line within my own family, within my own self, there's tension and disagreements of, of those things going on. I think I think it's important to keep those on. And most of the what we've learned in our work with faith and science, the most of the time there's hardcore conflict is when someone feels like, uh, their, their authority or power or, or money is going to be taken away from them. So again, the conflict within the middle ages of like the church and Galileo was mostly around like scared that they're going to lose power and prestige and, and relevance and money. And then that we still see that today too. It's like, Oh, you know, what if, what if I'm, but instead of coming with a, a posture of humility and learning and listening, um, that, that is where it goes. And I, and I love, again, go back to your book, like this under, it, it, it provides a different setting. Sci-fi often do, does that. It, it provides a sandbox, kind of play around with these mind experience and thought experiments of what would happen if this would happen or that would happen. How can they have a conversation? So it lays, it kind of disarms us to kind of lay down our, our, our defensiveness to kind of explore this in a way that the sci-fi. So yeah, good, good job. So tell us, you know, so what's next? Like, so there will be a sequel. There, there will. He's knocking on your door for a uh, right. for a TV series. It's going to be a movie one day. <laughs> what do <are> you know? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't.
2: I don't. I don't expect that.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. That would be great. <laughs>
2: if anybody wants to call me, they can find me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I, I uh, there is definitely a sequel and probably a third book in this this series um, nice. with these characters continuing this story. Um, the the working title, um, I'm about, I'm probably about 25, 30% of the way through that one right now, nice. the working title for it is the cloud of unknowing, which, oh. um, I don't know if, if, if you, you guys probably have read it, but for anybody in your audience who hasn't, it's uh, cloud of knowing is a book by an anonymous, um, uh, medieval monk on it's a manual for contemplative prayer. Yeah. I think it's like one of the greatest works in the history of Western literature. I mean, it's like, Actually. I can't believe more people haven't read this. It is so good. It's so funny. It's like, it's like written in the voice of like your favorite uncle, like kind of <laughs> grabbing you by the ear being like, look, you idiot. You know? <laughs> like, like I'm trying to help you. Could you just stop being such a moron for five seconds and listen, you know? And it's like, you can, you can, the, the personality just comes through it so much anyway. Uh, but the, the, the cloud of unknowing is kind of the theme going into this, this next phase of the book of like, you know, we, we are going into a space of um, you know not necessarily being able to see too far in front behind above or below us. Um, it's hard. I mean, writing you know, this, this is, this is a not an easy um, book or story to tell because I don't, I don't want to get it wrong. Like I feel a certain level of responsibility to God. Right. On this like i don't want to i don't want to write heresy i'm not interested in writing heresy right okay i don't want to lead anybody away from faith but i also don't really i'm not really that interested in preaching so it's like it, it's it's a little bit slower going um and i'm having to take breaks from it a lot more than i thought i would now the good news for me is like in the breaks i've, I've i wrote another book which is already out in a totally different series Okay. now i'm about halfway through another book in that series
1: What's the name of that series, Andrew? That
2: series is called uh, it's Planet Gallywood, and it's a it's a satire of Hollywood. Um, it's kind nice. of like The Truman Show meets The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Okay, Beautiful. okay, Beautiful.
2: and it's and it's just really fun. I mean, it's it deals with some serious things, but it's like fun and light and um, just a blast to write. So, like I, you know, it's like I'm like a kid who's like, well, can I have the ice cream before I eat my you know liver? Mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you can have a bite of ice cream. So I have a bite of the ice cream. I'm like, well, that was really good. I think I'm going to have more of that ice cream.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: that's- As a fellow writer, I completely understand, especially <laughs> coming from a religious viewpoint of like, I want to represent God completely with what I'm doing, but I don't want to write a sermon. Right. Now, how do I like wrestle those two things? It's so difficult sometimes because so I, I have a point, like, you know, Jesus is the answer, but like, that shouldn't be, you know, like I said, it shouldn't be a sermon. <laughs> and like, I shouldn't be uh, beating people over the head with an anvil and right. it's really I, difficult to do.
2: Well, well I'm never going to persuade anybody like that, right? Like, oh, yeah. like how futile is that? But, but I also just, it's just not what I set out to do. But at the same time, like what you really don't want to do also, and I'm sure you can relate to this Christian is like, you know, I don't want to lead anybody in the wrong direction either. Oh,
1: absolutely. So, I better make sure what I'm saying is right. Yeah. I think that posture of humility goes a long way. As long as you're upfront with that, I think, yeah, I have a a friend of mine that we want, um, we have an idea for a comic book and a graphic novel that's sci-fi and it has some spiritual elements to it. And it's like, yeah, is everything, I mean, and some of it smacks of like Gnosticism and I'm like, oh no, I don't want to like leave people down the road of like Gnosticism, (laughs) but, but your plan is like, look, I'm not, I don't speak for all of Christianity. I don't speak for all of Lutheranism. I don't speak most of the time. I don't even speak all for my, for my family or even myself. There's times within me. So like that posture of humility that we're in this process, of growing and becoming that we're learning along the way that sci-fi, novels, comics, you know, can help us kind of explore certain things. If you go down a road, it's like, yeah, that isn't necessarily true. It's just something, an idea I was playing around with. We'll see what, what sticks. But I do think that posture of humility of saying like, yeah, there's more that I don't know that I do. And, and I'm going to play around with this in community with, with, with the church family, with, you know, our family we have in whole church, the family we have in, in systematic ecology, we're playing around with these ideas together. We can hold each other accountable if we're getting off base. We're like, ah, have you thought of this before? Um, so I, I think that's all helpful. So yeah, the you, you have permission to have the freedom to explore the imagination and see, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Andrew, as, as we wrap up here, where, where can people find you and, and where can people find your book and, and um, how they, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Sure. So the book is Our Lady of the Artilex. It's on Amazon currently, I think exclusively on Amazon every once in a while. I, you know, you can choose to publish exclusive on Amazon or have it go wide. And every once in a while I turn off the exclusive and it's available elsewhere, but right now it's just on Amazon. Um, the other book that I mentioned is called The Final Season,
1: okay. um,
2: and it's part of a series called Planet Gallywood. So it's Planet Gallywood Number One. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Gilsmith, um, and I'm on Goodreads, um, where I love love interacting with readers. Goodreads, for those of you who don't know it, is kind of like it's like Facebook for book lovers. You know, it's uh, where people get together and review books and create book clubs and talk about books and talk about writing and get into all kinds of arguments with each other on the side
1: nice yeah yeah so you're on twitter have you found i i enjoy twitter but have you uh, have the trolls come out for you have they had good experiences are there people reaching out to you about hey i like your book what are you well, you I'm know
2: 95 percent positive nice i
0: will say while i was doing the, my research on this with the hour i got to prepare thanks joshua uh, uh <laughs> I, I saw your uh reddit ama and i've got to say you handled that really well because that was one of the most <laughs> negative things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow.
2: That, yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that, but, uh, I, and I would do, I would do it again. I mean, I, you know, people, I'm not like, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not a priest. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not, a, I'm not the Pope. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in seminary. I'm just a I'm just a dude, you know, <laughs> believe certain things that I'm writing. So like, you know, sure. Come after me, beat me up. That's fine. I don't really have any interest in like arguing or insulting anyone
1: right? That's kind of the risk of putting yourself out there and putting your work out there. There's be all kinds of, of opinionated folks. Uh, uh, and then how do we posture ourselves and, uh, posture ourselves the way that, that Jesus did, uh, in terms of, of, of seeing people interact with people is, is a good model. So Andrew, thank, thanks so much for being with us and, and sharing your novel and your imagination and your stuff. How we can't recommend this book enough uh, for our listeners out there. Um, uh, hit us up on uh Whole Church um, both have patreons. Um, we both have a lot of uh, great episodes coming up with a lot of great guests and themes. And so let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're thinking. If there's if you read this book and you have a question that we didn't ask, you can hit up Andrew on on Twitter and hit us up on on our social medias as well. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, again, um, go find this book. Can't recommend it enough. And remember, share the faith.
0: Share the Geek. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.